Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Alright Joe, we got a really exciting week of college football. Not so much in the SEC. Really actually more outside of it with uh, Clemson and Notre Dame. And then of course the first weekend of Pac-12 football. And then you got the one premier game in the SEC that's for Georgia. But Joe, I thought the most fun thing to do is with all the awfulness we've had in Mississippi with Hurricane Zeta and sports books being shut down for the last week in Biloxi, good news for all you gamblers. From what I saw, the Beau Rivage is opening up again tomorrow for people to place bets at. So I thought that we should start our show off this time by doing our line of the week. And Joe, what do you have as... The best bet for anybody that wants to go over to the boats and celebrate their reopening with making a hot dog. Well, then I look, went a little bit bold tonight with my pick, and I kind of want to have want to have some fun with it. Um, I looked at the Oklahoma Kansas game, and I look at how maybe historically bad Kansas is right now. They lost to Oklahoma State earlier in the season, forty-seven to seven. They're just getting demolished by people. Feel really bad for less miles right about now. And they're playing Oklahoma this weekend. And Oklahoma has lost two games this year, admittedly. But to me, they're playing like a different team lately. They look like they're the class of the Big 12. And I know that they're already favored by 38 against Kansas. I think it's even worse than that. So I would say bet on uh, Oklahoma to cover. Man, that is a lot of points. You're going to take a cover on 38 points. Um, Sad thing is, I think you're probably on the right end of that. Uh, Me, personally, as a gambler, I would never bet on a line that's that big. That just scares me a little bit. But I do think if you're going to go the spread one way or the other on that, Kansas truly is just terrible. And every week, they just get beat worse and worse by different teams. I think Coastal Carolina might have beat them by 30 points. Uh, and that's kind of their coming out party this year. But, yeah, that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But uh, Oklahoma's going to kill them. It just depends whether it's going to be that high. Joe, you, you're looking at a game where there is actually one good team who can put up a lot of points, and then one truly terrible team that's going to be basically a skull drugging. I went the opposite end on my uh, line of the week. I went with two really terrible teams playing a game that might be utterly unwatchable for anyone that doesn't have an actual rooting interest in it. And I, of course, am talking about, sorry, Stingray, Mississippi State versus Vanderbilt. These teams suck. They're terrible. And if you want to watch that game, you're going to watch two terrible offenses that can't move the ball against anybody. Joe, the over-under in this game is 46.5 points. Ole Miss. Ole Miss's defense held Vanderbilt to 17 points. And, Joe, the worst part about that, that was Vanderbilt's best offensive showing of the entire season, scoring 17 points against Ole Miss's defense. Ole Miss has a defense that some JV teams in high school could uh, get out for. And so I'm looking at this as Mississippi State actually does have a relatively good defense. Uh, Vanderbilt's offense is atrocious. And Mississippi State lately, they've had one game where they got shut out by an Alabama defense that isn't one of the better ones in the Saban area. Probably is a middle-of-the-road SEC defense. It scored two points against Kentucky. That's not offensive, by the way. And since they put up 44 points against LSU, that 
believe have had 16 total points of offense. So there's no way these teams get 46 and a half points collectively. I like the under in a game that, man, you better be a hardcore Commodore or Bulldog if you're going to watch that just trash us. I like that rhythm, the hardcore Commodore. Yeah, they're going to worry. I didn't think about that. So, but, yeah. you know, you're right. Um, both offenses have been atrocious, and we're going to talk about LSU in a few moments, but you kind of look at that win by staying against LSU. That was an absolute anomaly because LSU was pretty bad themselves this year. And I think that with Mississippi State, I've never seen a team fall so far um, with the expectations they had after week one based on where they are now. Don't know, you know exactly what's going on. And with the two points they scored against Kentucky, quite frankly, I feel like I would rather be shut out than score two points. I thought that would be more embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, that was just – that was an ugly game, and that was kind of the sign of, of things to come for with all the interceptions. Um, but, yeah, that's that's going to be a bad game on Saturday with, with Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. But I think that if you wanted to bet on that game, the under is a really solid bet because I just cannot see that many points being scored in that one. Um, speaking of the team that actually did lose to Mississippi State, uh, Auburn and LSU uh, turned out to be maybe one of the most glorious football games I've ever seen in my entire life. I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I'm sure for those people who didn't have a uh, rooting interest in this game as an Auburn fan or maybe someone that didn't like LSU, then there's no way you could watch that. But it was really I, – I, I'm not going to say I saw it coming. We both predicted LSU to win, but I never in my life thought I would see Auburn win by that much. But you and I have had many conversations this year about how this was the game that as an Auburn fan I marked on the schedule as one that I thought we had to win. It was a necessary game for Gus Malzahn this year. Regardless of what happened against South Carolina, I really think that one of his referendums this year was going to be, can you go out and beat an LSU team that's lost a lot of talent and who you're probably better than? And he really went out and just exceeded expectations. And Bo Nix probably had his best game that he's had in Auburn uniform, throwing for 300 yards, rushing for 81, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. And then I thought the defense played their best game of the season. Uh, they had a, a scoop and score fumble for a touchdown, uh, near pick six, and then I, they also had a third turnover, too. And they beat LSU 48-11 to in what was the most one-sided game in the history of the rivalry for both teams. No team has ever won by 37 points in the Battle of the Tigers. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, just checking the score, um, you know, just blew me away because I didn't get to watch the beginning of the game and I come in, you know, in the second half wow, you know, this is just unbelievable. Because, I mean, granted, you know, LSU is a shell of what they were last year, but you still just don't expect a team like that to get shut out. You know, it's not like to the level of seeing Bama get shut out, but it still kind of surprises you. And I don't think they had lost a game like that since the 1990s. So just, you know, really um, impressed with what Auburn did. Um, it seemed like, you know, Auburn got, got back on the right track. Um, you know, this past week, and I said a couple of weeks ago that Auburn, I feel like, needs to go 7-3, and their only excusable loss would need to be to Alabama in order for Malzahn to save his job. And if they're able to play against LSU, they're on the right track towards that goal. However, conversely, with LSU, Dan, I feel like we're seeing Ed Orgeron, what he used to be back in the days of Ole Miss again. It's like, 
I think I think it's a little hasty now to be taking a, a great look at what Worcheron is based off this season. I also don't think you can look at him and say he's a fantastic coach off of last season. I think he's probably closer to the middle like what he did the first two years at LSU. But I think there was a lot of factors at play in this game. The biggest one is, Joe, the last three years before this one, Auburn lost games against LSU that were all tight games. And I would say legitimately two out of three of them, I think Auburn should have won. Last year, LSU was a better team. But in 2017, Auburn blew a 20-point lead in kind of a freak game in Baton Rouge. That was, of course, the year Auburn went to the SEC Championship. 2018, they blew a two-score lead in the second half, and they called two really questionable pass interferences on the last drive. They gave LSU a last-second field goal to win. And then, of course, last year, Auburn played LSU better than anyone else. But, I mean, LSU won a close game, and they probably should have. So there was a lot of a lot of anger on that Auburn team with three close losses in a row to a rival, and they only had one player on the entire roster even beaten LSU. And so I think that the, you know with the rivalry like this, there was a lot of motivation. Of course, you had people calling for Gus's job, and with the overall talent level of this team, you kind of could see everything coming together in this game. Maybe not quite to the level that we saw, but like I said, I mean this this is something that. You know, I kind of saw it coming, but just not to the degree that we saw it. I definitely didn't see that. And, you know, I'm looking at the rest of LSU's schedule right now, Dan. Um, you know, their only wins this year were against a horrendous Vanderbilt team and then, you know, an average South Carolina team. They play Alabama next, lost. They play at Arkansas. I think they lose that. They play, they play at A&M. I think that's a loss. They host Ole Miss. That's their best chance to get another win, in my opinion. But right now, I would probably favor all this. And then they finish at Florida. So I think there's a decent chance LSU could finish over and go 2-10, which would be really crazy to believe. Yeah, that would, that would be a nuts season for them if they actually went 2-8 and eight in the SEC. Or 2-8, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that, that I take away from that game, though, uh, outside of Bo Nix's like I said, 300 yards, no turnovers, four touchdowns, 81 rushing yards, was how well the Auburn defense played that. That was their best game of the year. Uh, they completely flustered that first, uh, you know, first road starting quarterback for LSU, had a really rough game, Finley did. And, I mean, just the defense was all over the field. The safeties really showed that Auburn may have one of the best secondaries in the SEC. And that's really the difference, Joe. If you look at the way Auburn's offense did the first five games of the year, really isn't that much different than what they did last year when they were winning a lot more games. It's just the defense backed them up last year. And actually, I think you could arguably say the offense has been a little bit better this year. And then now you look at what the defense did this last week. You're right. If Auburn can do this the rest of the season, I would say they're going to be better than everyone else on their schedule except for Alabama. And it's going to be sad thing they lost to South Carolina because they may have actually had a chance to play for the SEC West. Yeah, they could have. Um, I mean, they'll play Mississippi State um, the week after this. And they have Tennessee and then Alabama and then A&M. So, yeah, I mean, you feel like that's probably going to be three and one. It's still weird to me looking at these schedules and seeing the rivalry games not be the last game on the schedule because they finished hosting A&M. But yeah, I feel, I feel pretty safe that they're going to finish. Well, I mean, the A&M game, that won't be a gimme. 
I think if, if they go seven and three with a win like that over LSU and they beat A and I'll be happy as an Auburn fan. If they go six and four, I'm not going to be pleased, but I'm not going to be calling for Gus's head either because I do think that next year's team is going to be pretty good. I think that's probably the rational Auburn fan take from it. They shouldn't have lost to South Carolina. They were a much better team than them. But like I said, you told me before the beginning of the season they would be four and two, and that would include a forty-eight to eleven win over LSU. I'd say, all right, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, it's still, like I said, it's still hard to believe that um, that, that happened. Um, and you know, this this is next year for Oliver, and I think is the year they've been building to. You know, with it being Bo Nix's junior year, because Alabama is going to lose some people after this season. And so you feel like if they're going to have an opportunity next year, is kind of the the chance. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, especially if Bo Nix keep playing the way he did the last two weeks. He's had two really solid games in a row. Kind of finish the season on that same trajectory. Be a lot, be a much better quarterback next year, and you know he'll lose Seth Williams, but he shouldn't everybody else back. Um, Joe, speaking of kind of like getting rid of exes, we had talked about last week about how Ole Miss, when they played in Nashville in the Titan Stadium, tended to lose. And you know this Vanderbilt team I talked about earlier, they are a complete and utter unwatchable mess of a football team. I still thought that they would play Ole Miss tight just because history tells you that. Well, instead, Matt Corral goes out and breaks Eli Manning's record with 19 completions in a row. And he puts up six TDs and 412 yards passing, and I think he was the National Offensive Player of the Week. So you can figure out what the way that game went, and Ole Miss put it to what is a very, very bad Vanderbilt team. Yeah, they're historically bad, and but I still did not see Ole Miss. Um, you know, just like I talked about with Oliver and LSU, I still didn't think it was going to be anything like this. And Corral just did whatever he want, wanted to offensively. You know, you saw the Matt Corral that um, we had seen um, the first couple of weeks of the season where he just put up big numbers, but he was even more efficient. I mean, you only have three incompletions. You start out with a school record, 19 straight completions. And then uh, Elijah Moore had... Um, statistically the best game ever from an Ole Miss wide receiver um, breaking A.J. Brown's uh, single-game record of uh, 230 receiving yards. And so it was just, uh, you know, crazy how well the offense played for Ole Miss. Um, but, again, you can't read a whole lot into that game. Um, you got to see how they look the next few weeks. And I feel like the opportunity there for Ole Miss to finish, you know, with a pretty good season for their standards and feeling pretty good about it, but they've got to take advantage of um, the, these winnable games coming up. So there's there's no reason this year that they should lose to Mississippi State. But they absolutely need to beat the better team. LSU, that they should beat LSU, I think. Will they? I mean, it, it becomes the challenge of because it's sold this, even though I feel like they're better than some of these teams are going to be playing, can they, you know, get past all this? Well, can't yeah, can they get past the uniform? I mean, that's yeah. going to be the biggest thing when they play LSU is that they may be better than them. They may have a more solid offense. You know, Miles Brennan doesn't come back. Uh, it's inconsistent. Corral is a much better quarterback than Finley is. But when they see that – they see that golden purple on the, on the uh, across the way, are they going to be able to get over that and beat them? Which, you know, even Auburn had an issue with that the last few years, but of course Ole Miss is a much more ingrained thing 
So we'll have to see if they can they can get that win. Because I would say right now they're a better team. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I feel like there's a good chance to finish two and two. If they beat South Carolina, they be three and one. A and M is going to be the I think the the one where that'd be the excusable loss for me out of the, the last four. Yeah, I don't see them beating A and M, but South Carolina, I would say, is a toss up, and I would say they should win. LSU and State. So if they do that and win four games, I'd say that's probably a pretty good year based on what we thought they could do. Yeah, they, they better not lose to State. Definitely not. Not with, not with this level of offense that we're seeing in Starkville right now. Um, Joe, speaking of, uh, we were talking about Corral being a great quarterback in the last game, not so much consistently over his career. The best quarterback in the game, and I really feel like if he wins a national championship this year, I think he should be that are the greatest college football quarterback of all time. Trevor Lawrence uh, gets COVID-19, doesn't play against Boston College, and we see a really crazy game where Clemson got absolutely pushed in the line. Uh, Joe, I think at one point they were losing by 18 points to Boston College. And then with uh, DJ Buagalele uh, as a five-star quarterback, he comes in and leads them in a comeback, and they're able to get past Boston College. And what I would say is yet another inspiring performance by a backup quarterback from Clemson when they were down and out. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a couple of years ago when Chase Bryce won a game for them and saved their national championship perfect season. But Boston College, this is the biggest news that they had as far as you know the national landscape, I feel like, since the days of Matt Ryan and uh, 13 years ago, um, you know, they finally had a chance to pull off an upset. They didn't do it. Um, I think the takeaway for me for Clemson was that their defense um, did not play well. Mm-hmm. Um, even without Lawrence, you felt like how their defense had played the first few weeks of the season that they could still win the game and not have as much trouble against Boston College, even, you know, breaking in a new quarterback. So I feel like they've got to get the defense turned around if they're going to have a shot against uh, Notre Dame uh, this weekend. Well, Joe, you say that, but Clemson does one of these games every year. Every now and then they lose them. Most of the time they get away with it. Uh, you think about three years ago, they won their first national championship. They lost to a pretty average Syracuse team. Uh, two years ago, they almost lost to Syracuse again. That was the Chase Bryce game you were referring to. But they were able to, I think, get a big fourth down conversion and win the game tight. And then last year, uh, North Carolina missed, what, a 25-yard field goal? And that's the reason that they were able to beat them. And, and then it was a two-point conversion attempt in overtime by Mac Brown. And I think there was also an NC State game where NC State should have beaten them. There's always one game where Clemson plays down to a mid-tier to lower-tier ACC team. And, you know, I think after that, you see their best come out. So I really think this may have been the worst thing in the world for Notre Dame, but that's the Clemson team that went out last week. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think that it will be interesting um, what the committee would do if Clemson were to lose this game to Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence, and that's their only loss. Um, I, I think I think it could be a pretty close game. I really do, um, ultimately. Yeah. We'll see. We'll preview that in our next segment, but it uh, should be a very interesting game. Uh, Joe, the last thing that I wanted to, to recap from the 
last week in terms of the overall game was the death knell of the Big 12. Uh, you called the upset. I thought Oklahoma State would be able to squeak by, but the Pokes went down to Sam Ellinger and the Longhorns in a really classic overtime affair. And, Joe, are you ready to go ahead and say there's no way that any Big 12 team can get back to the college football playoff? Yeah, I'll go ahead and say that there's no way. And I think a lot of that is because Oklahoma State is the one-loss team. If it were Oklahoma with one loss, you know, given the pedigree of their program, especially in the last few years, kind of getting back into the playoff race even with a, a loss, I, I just don't think Oklahoma State can carry the torch for the league. I think that they'll lose to Oklahoma at the end of the season. And so with that, you'll have pretty much everybody with two losses that matters. So the Big 12 is finished. And I wanted Oklahoma State to win personally against Texas. I just felt like it was the most Big 12 2020 thing to happen for um, Oklahoma State to drop that game. There's no doubt it was. I mean, it seemed like that was was written all over it that this was the game that Texas would win. And, of course, they'd drop on Questionable, you know, ridiculous game that whoever was uh, from Kansas State. They lost to some bad Big 12 team that I can't think of right now. They should have lost to Texas Tech if they were to come back and win that one. Um, but, you know, seems like this year that Oklahoma State had a really great defense, but they just didn't quite have what Gundy usually had offensively. And I think that's the big difference. Uh, you look at Chuba Hubbard. Uh, now, he hasn't put up the, quite the numbers he had last year where he had 2,000-yard rushing season. He doesn't look like the best running back in America right now. They haven't, Tyler Wallace hasn't really come out as a receiver like he was last year, and their quarterback play hasn't been anywhere near what it is. So you kind of knew this was a flawed Oklahoma State team on offense. And it's sad because this is the best defense that maybe the Big 12 has had as a conference in like 10 years, but it's not going to make any difference because the offense is pedestrian. Yeah, it's, it's been bad, and, you know, I, I don't trust um, their quarterback as much as some of the other guys they've had, like Mason Rudolph a couple years ago. Um, I felt coming into the season they had an outside chance, you know, to have a uh, season similar to what they had in 2011 when they got really close to making, making it to the national championship game. But for me, they're just not quite as good. And I just think overall it's kind of a, a down year that's right, Joe. Uh, speaking of down years, uh, on the field right now, I think Dan Mullen's having a great season, with the exception of a kind of a head-scratching loss to AM. Florida's offense is clicking on all cylinders right now. I would say they arguably have the best quarterback in the SEC. You can split hairs between Mac Jones and, and Kyle Trask at the moment, but their offense right now with Trask, with uh, Kyle Pitts and tight end doing great things. And now suddenly, with a name that you've been hearing for a long time, and a name that, that I've known for a long time, uh, especially if it's from Mobile, which is the high school that's you know about a half a mile from my house where my brothers went to, Kadarius Tony, Murphy High School graduate from Mobile, having an absolutely great season and kind of showing himself off as like a new age take on Austin, I feel like. Florida has a great offense. Their defense was really bad for most of the season, but kind of showed out against Missouri looking good. But the biggest thing you take away from last week is not how dominant Florida was against Missouri. It was the wild and name antics of uh, Dan Mullen 
that I really felt like should have been punished much more by the SEC than they were. Yeah, that, that was pretty bad, Dan. Uh, that was um, a tough look for uh, both programs for Florida. You know, I heard, you know, the interview with some of the Missouri coaches after the game, and they, you know, they were really embarrassed about everything that transpired. You know, that, that was an unfortunate situation, and it kind of takes away from some of the hype of what is, you know, the SEC East game of the year uh, between Georgia and Florida. But I still think that this game is very compelling. Uh, we talked about it coming into the season that, you know, we weren't sure, um, you know, I, I was not sure who would win the SEC East, and we actually thought that um, Florida could drop this game and still win the East. You know, it's just kind of that unpredictability. Um, but it's going to be an enticing matchup still. Definitely, and that's another one we're going to talk about in our next segment. Um, but, Joe, you know, as, as an Ole Miss fan, how do you feel about the fact that Dan Mullen runs out of the field after this play, which admittedly should have been flagged. That was that was a dirty hit by the Missouri player on Trask. It was highly late. But Mullen goes out, starts yelling at the referees, and kind of charging at Missouri players. And, of course, breaks results in an all-out brawl with all kinds of people getting hit, including a Missouri assistant coach. And then he follows it up with a pseudo-apology, very poor uh, – uh, very, very poor uh, press conference where he's dressed up like Darth Vader while he's, he's saying all this. And yet, after all this, he gets the same fine, $25,000, as Lane Kiffin does for retweeting something about the missed call in the Auburn Ole Miss game. I mean, to me, that is an absolute sham. And that's ridiculous. And, and you know, it, it allows, they don't allow the officials I think it allows no accountability for officials in the conference. Um, but yeah, Dan Mullen, you know, you, you know, I think it's obvious to probably you know, what, I, what I think about him. Never have been a fan of him. I like him a lot better now that he's in Florida because you know, he stopped with the school up north trash talking. But I've just never been a big proponent of how he runs the program. I, I, if I had a son, I never would want him. Well, you look at that, Joe. I mean, he goes out and he does this. He starts a huge fight, which 100% was his fault. And then he goes out after the game and makes this mockery of wearing the Darth Vader outfit while he says all this. And then you look at a couple weeks before, he was talking about how the reason a and beat him is because they had so many fans in the stands and Florida needed to pack out the swamp. And then he and most of his team gets coronavirus and they can't play the game. I mean, it's just it's a terrible look for him off the field right now. It is. And that's just been, like I said, that's been an issue with him. His PR for me is just not always that good. His interviews, he just doesn't come across as likable. And, you know, I can think of a lot of uh, head coaches that, you know, while I may not like their team when Ole Miss or my favorite teams are playing them, at the end of the day, you know, I still respect them a lot more. Yeah, you know, uh, to quote, uh, you know, super troopers, like, you look at you look at Steve Spurrier, Spurrier, his antics were cheeky and fun. Everybody likes Steve Spurrier. I mean, when he made fun of someone, it was actually funny. You know, and it was never, like, mean-hearted. And you feel like what Dan Mullen does is never funny and that it always seems like it comes from a bad place. It really does, and I think that that's the difference. Definitely. All right, Joe, well, what comes from a good place is next week we're going to have on uh, Kevin O'Donnell from uh, Tampa News to talk about the 
the Buccaneers and the Saints, a big matchup that we had over the weekend. So we'll recap it, and we want to make sure that everyone knows about that. It's going to be on our show to begin next week at 9 o'clock. Decide what having Kevin on, Joe? Absolutely. You know, right now the Buccaneers are, you know, the talk of the NFL, quite frankly, and I think he's probably getting a lot more interviews now than Tom Brady and Tampa. That's right. He, uh, he interviewed before the season with us and was super excited. And now he's getting a little bit of a justification on what they put in to, to build a nice team around Brady and, and Gronk and the new look Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Antonio Brown for the first time this weekend. So it should be a good matchup that we'll, we'll preview a little bit later and we'll have Kevin on next week at nine o'clock to give us a recap of it. And uh, as always, you can listen to our show on the Dan and Joe Sports Show podcast on Spotify. If you search it, I'll upload all the episodes. We've got two seasons now of it. And also we're available on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to watch us live, you just watch us at 9 o'clock on Facebook Live. And now we're on Zoom, so we have our side-by-side cameras, and it looks a lot better. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.